before we pray and wrap up. And I just want to create just a little spot to, uh, I had the thought about 10 times in that, whoever is recording this better not mess up. Because <laughs> I'm going to need to listen to this about 10 times on halftime speed to just let it sink in. Is the life I'm inviting people into the life I myself am actually living? I, I'm thinking, um, my guess is a lot of us would say no, or kind of, or sort of. Um, and you know, there's the, the angle of hypocrisy, but then there's the angle of us just all trying to figure out how to do a job that at times seems incompatible with unhurried, surrendered, mm -hmm. and free. Uh, there's that Stephen Covey line, you know, you achieve inner peace when your schedule is aligned with your values. Mm. And uh, that's a bit disturbing sometimes. What would you say to anyone in the room, and I'm guessing it's, you know, there's at least one person in the room, but what would you say to someone who really does want to live a life of integrity. They really want to live the life that they're inviting people into. And the, the challenges in hypocrisy or, not that that stuff isn't in us, so the desire to look good, but the challenge is just how, how do I meet this list of demands on my time and person that is impossible to fulfill in seven days a week yeah. or six days a yeah. week? Anybody here ever feel guilty or inadequate on that? Um, <laughs> What I find is, I wrestle with that so much, I often find prayer just becoming me rehearsing my guilt and inadequacy. And it's like, it's not just depressing for me, it's depressing to God. <laughs> like, there'll be times where it's just like, God's like, you know, I'm getting depressed by your prayer here. And, and so I, I think for most of us, uh, there's a wonderful little line in Brother Lawrence where he talks about, for 10 years, he felt guilty because he felt spiritually so inadequate. And then he realized he would always be troubled by that, so he just stopped worrying about it. <laughs> and just accepted that thought will always be there. So I will acknowledge that that's always there. And then just come back to God. And um, it's, this is hard to put into words, but part of what I have been discovering, particularly the last couple of years, is it actually is possible in those moments with God to choose to rehearse the fact that God really does love me mm. and that I am his child and I can actually um, cultivate that habit. And uh, as you know, our son in particular is a great surfer and surfing is a wonderful reminder. If you miss one wave, there's another wave that comes right along behind it. And then another wave that comes right along. The waves never stop coming and every moment is like that. Mm. So it's just... Uh, uh, be aware of it. If there's something I need to change, be surrendered and change. But then this is a new moment. God, can I find you here? And uh, not to carry the inadequacy of the last wave into the next wave. Wow. You must arrange your daily life so you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. Um, at whatever level you're happy to share, talk to us about what does daily prayer look like for you? Mm -hmm. Like, how, how do you commune with Jesus? Yep. Um, it has been different in different seasons um, for the last two or three years because it's been such an intense season. Um, I always wake up very early in the morning. Um, 
and uh, I need help to face the day. I just, I will need a thought or um, uh, an image um, because otherwise my mind just goes to dark places of anger, fear, or sadness. So I find these days um, I'm driven to God in the morning, not because I'm spiritually so mature, yeah. um, but just out of neediness. And so I'll, I'll usually follow kind of the same routine. Um, Ignatius suggested this, so I'll always start by saying the Lord's Prayer. And um, I'll begin like this and then kind of go to this. I always slow down when I get to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. That's a sobering line for me. Um, when I get to the end, Dallas used to say, whoopee is a good replacement for amen. So <laughs> if I'm feeling joyful, I might end with a whoopee. And, um, and then Ignatius talked about asking God for help in prayer. So I actually, then when I sit down, I'll do um, Psalm 121, which yeah. is the prayer I was saying. I, I was saying that psalm when my dad was dying. Uh, those last lines, the Lord will watch over you, going out and you're coming in both now and more. Uh, he breathed his last during that line, never breathe in again. So I'll always say that psalm and um, pretty much always think about my dad on that line and that kind of grounds me in what I want to do this in, during the day. I'll, I'll think of three things that I was grateful for yesterday and I'll write those down. just helps me to try to inhabit that. And then I will read some scripture passage and look for a phrase that I can, where I say, oh, I want that. Yeah. So. In the morning yeah. after the Lord's Prayer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, just... Um, knowing you a little bit over the last few years, one of the striking features of your character has been your capacity to hold traumatic grief and exuberant joy mm -hmm. in your person simultaneously. And uh, I think we were chatting on the phone recently and I said something about, you know, just some stuff we're going through where I said something akin to that, like I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to grow, to have my soul enlarged to the point, you know, where I can hold sorrow and joy at the same time. And you graciously cut me off and said, I don't think that's something you can accomplish by willpower. Talk to us about that. Like, I don't think there's a version of our job that does not hold regular grief. So how do we also hold consistent joy? Yeah, we had a... Uh a group of friends together, and one of them made the comment, um, there is no pain worse than church pain except family pain. Yeah. And um, I think that's probably true. Um, you know, a couple of thoughts. I, I don't know why this is. Uh, for Nancy and me both, in times of great sorrow, especially when it was really intense and fresh, it was helpful to think that there are many other suffering people in the world. Yeah. And I don't think it's so much misery loves company as much as, oh yeah, there are billions of people who have been in enormous pain and just because I've been okay, that doesn't mean the world's okay. And so if I could trust in God when there was great pain in other people, um, then I ought to be able to trust God uh, when we're in pain. And then in a strange way, this is a longer story, but it took a while to realize um, that loving people 
and being concerned deeply for them uh, doesn't mean it helps them if I shut the door to all joy in my life while they are in pain. Yeah. And that I can mourn with them and also experience joy in good moments and I will be able to love them better. It's kind of like on an airplane where they'll tell you, you know, put on your oxygen mask first. And I think that's kind of Jesus. Uh, he was the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Andy have said, I have told you these things so that my joy might be in you. Yeah. And um, so I think that's the way that it was and is for him. And training for joy, so. Yeah. Bagels with, what did you say, honey, and bacon and eggs? Yeah, peanut Every butter. <laughs> yeah, bacon and eggs. Yeah. I call it crap day. That doesn't sound very spiritual, but I just eat, eat crap I just love that it, it's not on Friday. It's not on Saturday. No, it's Sunday, baby. It's on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what about the pain of being a mom or a dad? Um, you know, my therapist said to me a few years ago, no one will ever cause you more pain than your child. Yeah. But nobody ever tells a young parent that. We tell them, congratulations. Mm -hmm. We don't tell them this. What were you thinking? Beautiful. <laughs> and he did not mean it in a cynical way at right. all. He said, well, we don't show up at the hospital and say, this little child will tear open your heart. Yeah. Will cause you fear and anxiety and grief and sorrow and humbling. And we don't really get to talk about it. Yeah. What, what would you say? I don't know what the median age in the room is. I'm sure there's a data point somewhere. I would guess, I don't know, 34 or something. There's a number of people here coming into that age where you're starting to feel of your children. Mm -hmm. what, what would you say to that pain? How to hold that pain yeah. of love? Yeah, there is, uh, I guess, each pain is unique in its own way. Uh, the pain of a parent for a child is a unique pain. Um, I think is when they're born, uh, your job is to spare them from pain. Yeah. And that desire never goes away. Um, I think one of the things that I am learning is um, well, I'll put it this way. There's an old saying, a parent can be, never be happier than their most miserable child. Uh, I violently disagree with that. What a horrible thing it would be if God was that way. <laughs> if we had a God that could be no happier than his most miserable child. And I think um, uh, to put the burden of my well-being on the shoulder of my child's choices does my child no favor. And so um, I will basically be able to love my children as a parent much better if I am basically uh, okay with God. Um, now, it's much easier to say that than it is to live, to live it. it. And I have had long stretches where uh, I wasn't necessarily suicidal, but if my life would have ended, I would have been fine with that. And um, to say, 
uh, I want to and need to find life and find a way to embrace life uh, uh, was, is an important part of that journey. Mm. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's going to come the same day that the pain comes. Yeah. You've been walking this path for a long time to, to lob you the common question that I still find so helpful. If you could go back and talk to yourself at 25, mm. just starting out in pastoral work, anything that you would say? Or to reframe that, what we're actually asking is, what would you say to us today? <laughs> yeah. With that vantage point, you know? And uh, I mean, I'm learning so much. Just everything you just said about differentiation, you know, was here for almost 20 years. And having stepped now down from the lead role, gosh, which has been just like tearing my heart out. But I'm learning so much about so many things. Yeah. And I'm realizing I was way too enmeshed with yeah. this church and this role and this position and this responsibility. My well-being was way too tied up in it. Um, and there, I'm just, it's just liberating mm -hmm. to watch the church go on and thrive without me. And so humbling and so liberating. And I think those are the same thing, actually. but. I'm just thinking about what I'm learning just through this one experience, and you have decades ahead. Like, what, what have you learned? Would you go back and say, man, I wish I had this in my mind? Yeah, I, I think actually it would be really similar. Um, I'll sometimes think about it as like report card syndrome. Like when I was a kid, what's on my report card? How, you know, what will I show my parents? And if I could go back to that kid and say, don't worry about your stupid report card. Learn, get to know other kids, love them, enjoy life um, uh, instead of carrying that burden. And I think I just tend to transfer that at any point in life. Yeah. And so when I was young in ministry, that was the report card. And um, to experience freedom, not so much that my life could be a lot more pleasant, but that I could be more effective in loving people and being present with people and being more freed from my ego and um, experiencing joy together with God um, to be free, mm. to be free, yeah. Mm. I keep searching for a way to get free through the right, like, spiritual life hack. Mm. But the only thing that seems to work is my attachments being stripped away against my will. Is there a life hack I'm missing? <laughs> 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 because I really want to be that. Is there a way to be that without pain? Yeah. You know, uh, Dallas sometimes talks about the golden uh, triangle of transformation. Yes. And uh, on, on one point, our practices or disciplines, things we can engage in to receive power. Uh, another part of the triangle, another angle is the Holy Spirit, movements of the Holy Spirit. Um, conviction of sin, guidance, whispers of love. But then the third point on just the triangle is suffering. Yeah. And um, uh, I don't think there is another way. I don't think there is another way. Um, I do think, um, 
I, at least I will often tend to think only of huge suffering, cancer or something like that. Actually, uh, suffering comes to us all the time. Your computer is slow to boot up. Um, <laughs> you know, you're stuck in a traffic jam. You get an email and somebody says something that's a little bit snarky on it. Um, you know, I had a, uh, I thought I was going to get my car back from the shop and it wouldn't come back when I thought it was going to be like, oh, this is awful. Uh, it's like every one of those moments, like that's what James was talking about. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd in your life, don't resent them. Welcome them as friends. Like, this is great. Now I can cope. I can, I can learn how to handle this with God. So it's like, I think if we can learn to identify suffering with a little s that comes to us all the time, every day, and with a lot of that, if I just remember, I can kind of shift gears and say, I can do that. I can be present in this with God. I can survive having to adjust another day where I have to Uber instead of taking a car. That's kind of a first world problem. Um, so I think learning how to use suffering is probably a very under-leveraged um, mm. piece of spiritual formation. It's not a discipline, but, you know, in Dallas's model, it's one of the big three. Yeah. And it's available to us, I think, way more often than most of us think. Mm. Sorry. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for giving us the example of what's possible. Mm. A life of freedom, unhurried, surrendered, free, not in the absence of pain, but in the thick of it. Mm. Would you, um, Tyler and the team are going to come and lead us into a, a ministry time, but as they come, would you just pray a blessing over us? I think a lot of us ache for that kind of a life. We just deeply desire to be pastors and souls who are free. So I would love to do that. Um, uh, this one let's do with eyes open. Dallas used to say, actually, in the Bible, mostly when people pray, their eyes are open. And that praying, every head bowed, every eye closed, was something mostly that Victorian Sunday school teachers came up with to keep their kids under control. <laughs> and so sometimes it's a real good thing when you're praying for people to keep your eyes open and to look right at him and to remember God's right here. And I, I will pray a blessing for you that Dallas prayed one time. He came to, came to our church one time and I asked him if he would give a blessing. And um, so he talked a little bit about, blessing is when you incline your heart, something you do with your will and your mind and your whole self to invoke God's goodness into somebody's life. And then this was the blessing he gave us. It was the blessing that Jesus gave to Zacchaeus. I said, remember that little guy, Zacchaeus? And what Jesus said was, I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to your house today. God bless you.